always such a pleasure to be here at Grace Covenant Church. I have my wife Kathy with me. <clears throat> she grew up in the Northern Virginia area, and it really is like coming home to me. Brett and Cynthia, and Brett's in the New Orleans area preaching this morning. Brett and I have been dear friends 20 years. Jim and I have been friends 33 years. And so I just, I'm not Bill Gates and money, but I'm Bill Gates and friends. And I, I thank God that I have friendships that are 40 years old now. I know I look 18. I'm really not. I'm 58. You live right, this could be your resurrection body too. Okay, now, but, but, humor, but humor aside, I'm, I'm honestly just very happy to be here. And I pondered really what to share on. And I'm going to share a message with you and called Dark Proof. Will you thrive in the darkness you're facing? Um, I'm going to basically stay in John 13, which is the beginning of a 24-hour period in the life of Jesus. But before we get to John 13, I'm going to start in John 12. There's been a thread, Lord help us now, in the ministry of Jesus about a coming darkness, about a, a hard time his disciples are going to face now. As most of us in here adults know, hard times we know are not if, they're when. We find ourselves in an interesting time in world history. So many things happening in in Asia with Korea, with Iran, and we look right up the highway at Boston where the whole city shut down because of terrorism. We look at our own country, whether you're libertarian, Republican, whether you're Democrat, whatever you might be, we realize our nation's problems are facing some God-sized problems that no one political party can solve them. And so we're in a time where we wonder, even though economic news seems a bit better, it feels like a house of cards sometimes, we wonder, what does God want to do in our life that no matter how dark it gets, we can thrive? No matter what we're facing, why is this important? Because it's under the canopy of darkness when people are afraid that God does his greatest work. In Boston, through all the, the terror in that city, Two years ago, your larger Ian family planted a young pastor and his wife there in between MIT and Harvard. Churches just have not grown there forever. They had almost 500 at Easter. You know, students from MIT, Harvard, God is moving. And that young pastor and his wife lived a block away from where those terrorists were living. And in the middle of that darkness, God's at work. The, on the Saturday before Easter, 4,000 people came to that little church with their children to hunt Easter eggs. Boston Globe came. God's always doing something, even when it's dark. Now, in John 12, Jesus is trying to prepare them for something. Then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. That's fairly scary. Something's going to change. What's going to change? He is going to be taken from them. They're going to brutally murder him. He's going to be resurrected, but they're not really going to have him physically present any longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. He's saying, don't waste your time with me. Don't waste these moments. Listen to what I'm saying. Don't waste times like this in the house of God. Because a time is coming when the natural lights are going to seemingly blink off And it's going to be so dark, unless you've listened to me, you're not going to know what to do. At this point, Jesus has about seven days before he's crucified. While the crowds are cheering, he knows they're soon going to be jeering and demand his death. He's already facing, what do I do? He goes on into this passage and says this, believe in the light while you have the light. Listen to what I'm saying now. Believe in me now so that you may become children of light. When he'd finished speaking, he left and hid himself from them. 
Ever wonder why God plays hide-and-go-seek with you? Why he seems to disappear? Why? He's trying to help us to understand, have you listened to what I said? Is what I've been saying inculcated into your life? If you believe now, you'll become children of the light. No matter how dark it gets, you'll see. Now, when we come into John 13, 1, which is where we'll be these next, you know, 18 minutes or so, Jesus realizes, I've got 10 or 11 hours left to prepare these 12 humans. He knows in just a matter of hours, he's going to be going to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he'll be betrayed, tormented, scourged, brutally murdered. Now, if you're God and you have a handful of hours left with the people that are going to be used to transform the world, what would you say? Now, before you look in John 14, you find this magnificent sermon, John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Maybe I could just read that over and over. If I had to lose the whole Bible, I'd want to keep that part. He does two unique things. He establishes two things. One of them is communion. You remember that. You know, the bread and and, and the wine, the juice, whatever. It's more than just symbology. We can experience the real presence of Christ. But it's also a picture of a lifestyle. My blood will cleanse your sins no matter what happens. And secondly, you can feed on me and worship me and meditate on me. But in the middle of this service, he does something else that we hardly see practiced anymore that's also latent with spiritual principle called foot washing. You ever been in a foot washing service? Raise your hand. Take heart. We ain't going to wash feet today. Back in my early days of Christianity, we have to wash feet all the time. I just pray, my God in heaven, please don't let it be sandal wares. I mean, I know there's toe jam, there's fungus. I'd have to close my eyes to wash their feet. We've been ain't trimming them nails for 10 years. I mean, oh, my, it's terrible. And I, I, I never so happy when that foot washing deal ended. Maybe you foot washing Baptists, you still want to wash your feet. Well, you can go on with yourself. Anyway, okay, but in, in the middle of all that, there's something deeper than feet. Let's find out. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come. He was 33 and a half. His father had hidden him away in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. And all kinds of immense forces were now whirling and swirling around him. He knew it was time for him to leave the world. That's a nice way of saying he was going to get murdered. Then he, you know, he'd rise, but there's some things to go through. How many of you know, as much as we all love resurrection, we all hate death. Time would come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved him to the end. Now, the evening meal was already in progress. They didn't realize it was the Last Supper, the last moment of fellowship before he was murdered and taken from them. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. In the middle of God's plan, how many of you know there's already a counterplan? The enemy had already sowed seeds in the heart of Judas. Judas had been secretly stealing for months. He'd already sold out his best friend. It's one of those moments really holy and sacred. You could feel kind of a chill in the spiritual air as well. But in the middle of all that chaos and all that confusion, it says of Jesus, he knew his dad had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. When you begin to understand, I'm a father's son, my father's daughter, He loves me. Even in that kind of chaotic yet poignant holy moment, you know. He does something radical. We don't have time to read all the verses. He stands up, takes off his outer clothing, and he shocks him. Here's the Messiah, the most pivotal being in all of human history. 
taking basically the status of a servant, of a slave, and begins to wash the foul feet of his disciples. Now we look at this and we realize Jesus is instituting kind of servant leadership, loving the people you serve, caring for them. But there's something far deeper than servant leadership going on here. Jesus is after something. And if you can capture what I'm saying today, and if you can respond to what I'm saying today, if you can really begin to practice what I'm saying today, it'll dark-proof your life. No matter how dark it gets, you won't just survive. You can thrive. Jesus begins to wash their feet. He comes to Simon Peter. How many of you know Simon Peter is always putting both feet in his mouth? He's the only human in the Bible who is rebuked by every person of the Trinity. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. The father said, shut up and listen to my son. And Acts, the Holy Spirit said, stop calling boy unclean. What I say is clean. He always had his foot in his mouth. Now, they're basically reclining on thin mats on the ground around this table, probably leaning on their left elbow, serving themselves with their right hand. And Jesus, all of a sudden, begins to go from person to person, going to wash their feet. He comes to Peter and Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? What happened is Peter reacted and retracted his feet back. And Jesus says something to him that you better capture. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing. But later, you'll understand. Peter, listen to me. I know you don't get this right now. I know you don't understand while I'm reaching out from your feet. But son, just because you don't understand is no reason not to obey me. You're going to understand later. Here's the problem with following God. He'll call you to do lots of things that you don't understand and you won't understand until you have hindsight. But if you wait until you have hindsight to respond, it's just too late. He comes into your marriage, comes into your business, comes with your significant other, comes into your life, your career, and begins to touch things in you. And everything in you wants to retract those feet. Everything in you wants to pull back. Why? Because you don't realize what he's doing today will save you tomorrow. What he's working on today is for a set of circumstances you might not see. Many of you are in that place right now. The Holy Spirit is doing something in you. You can't understand it. You can't figure it out. It doesn't make sense. Now, of course, Peter, being the submissive disciple, is going to say, oh, please wash my feet. No, said Peter. You shall never wash my feet. At least Peter was honest about his feelings. Now, he just told God, you can't touch me because I don't understand it. And you can only do to me what I understand. If you only respond to God when you understand, you won't respond much. Surely Jesus will say, man, I don't want to touch your feet anyway. Them toenails are ugly. I know that's a fungus on that big toe. I mean, I ain't getting my finger between those toes. I know what you just stepped in that sheep pasture. I mean, I just thank you, God. Crucify me, but don't make me touch him. But no, Jesus said this. Then, then Jesus said to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me, son. All of a sudden, we realize Jesus isn't talking about feet now. He's talking about heart. What part of you touches the world? How have you been walking? He said, Peter, 
if I can't wash you, you're going to lose your part, son. Now, I'm not talking about his salvation. You're going to lose the part you were born for, the part you were meant to play. In fact, Peter, you don't realize it. We're getting ready to walk out of here, hear the greatest sermon ever, other than the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to go to Gethsemane. And you're going to be called upon to protect me and to stand with me and to love me and pray with me. And son, if you don't let me touch you right now, you're going to walk out and lose your part. You're going to deny and you're going to run and you're going to fail. There are things in you that if you don't let Jesus touch them, you may well lose your part in the redemptive drama you're born. Much is caught up in this church. It's bigger than most churches in America now. There are only 2,500 churches with 2,500 attendants. You're pushing up there. You've, that building will fill up. You're the most important city in the whole world. You have a part to play. Something God wants to do. Well, Peter quick said, okay, wait a minute. I'll get in the tub. I'll go to the car wash. Just says, Peter, wait. I've already redeemed you, boy, but I just need to touch your hands and your feet. That party that's been touching something unclean, not handling things right, not walking, let me touch that. Now, we're going to run down here to verse 15 because we're going to get out of time. The first thing Jesus says is, there are things in you, if you don't let me touch them, even though you don't understand, you'll lose something precious. That's many of you right now. He's tampering around with your heart. He's brushed aside the keep out sign. That's just the first of the news. This is even worse. I have set you an example that you should do as I've done to you. Verse 70, now that you know these things, you're going to be blessed if you do them. Do what things? Not only do we have to respond to the Holy Spirit in our life, we're supposed to do this to each other. That means God uses people like you know, Brett, Cynthia, Jim, Angie, Danelle, I could go on and on. God uses mature Christian peers in your life, staff members, small group leaders. God uses them to put their finger on something in your life. That's why God doesn't just come to you directly. He uses other humans, other Christians. You know, I love big meetings like this. They're a lot of fun. I love Wednesday night. But the fact of it is, equipping takes place here. But a lot of times, real transformation takes place when you're by yourself with God or with a small group of believers who you've trusted yourself to. Jesus says, listen, I want to establish a pattern here. If you will not let me or one of my servants touch areas of your life, you can use your part. Now, he spends then, beloved, the rest of this whole chapter illustrating this principle in the lives of two people who deeply need their heart cleansed. One is Judas, one is Peter. Let me take seven or eight minutes and tell you those two stories, then summarize this. When you come into verse 18, Jesus has just basically told them this. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I've chosen, but this is to fulfill a passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Interesting, isn't it? That in the context of foot washing, Jesus is now pointing out that one of you have such a dirty foot. One of you have such a dirty heart. The very foot you've refused to let me wash is going to be used to crush me, betray me, and to allow me to be murdered. Talk about a serious word. One of you in this room, Jesus says, your foot's so dirty, you're going to crush me with it. And I've only loved you. Talk about sobering up the room. Now, we know in other versions, in Matthew's account, Luke's account, Mark's account, 
They begin to who is it? Who is it? Who is it? And you have to go down into the story, and I'm going to set this, the story for you because I've only got a couple, two or three minutes on Judas, and I want to get to Brother Peter. We're going to miss his turn. You understand they're all reclining on couches, and John is here. If this is Jesus, John's right here. But catch this, it's going to blow your mind. Judas has been placed right next to Jesus in the seat of honor. You see, Jesus won't just use hard times to break you. He'll use blessings to break your heart. He'll be so kind to you and bless you even when you're living a double life, even maybe when you're not listening. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. But we look at that and say, I must be doing fine because God's blessing me, not necessarily. And so Peter kind of whispers to John. He goes, John, John goes, yeah, I know it isn't you and I. We're about the only holy ones in this church. <laughs> Who is it? John goes, let me ask him. So he's getting real quiet now. Leaning back against Jesus, speaking of John, verse 25, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it's the one who I'm going to give this piece of bread when I dip it into the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered it. Man, this scare you? I mean, he's given Judas the honored seat, the biggest blessing of his life, and now he's going to turn and give him to covenant bread, the first piece. The best peace. You see, Jesus will reach out to your heart with blessing to melt it, to show you how much he loves you. He'll always reach out with the blessing before the brokenness of your life comes. There's always a moment. History is being made. Jesus said, Judas, Judas, here's your chance. You've got a chance to repent, son. Come clean. Let me watch that betrayal out of your heart. But Judas would not repent. He took that bread to eat it. And Satan himself entered his heart. Beloved, church isn't enough to protect you from the devil, is it? Good pastor. Jesus wasn't a bad pastor. Didn't have a bad staff, the 12 apostles. Saw miracles. It's just not enough. You can sit here with an open door to the heart, in your heart to the enemy because of sin. And all the good preaching in the world isn't going to protect you. All the good worship. Jesus wants to come watch your heart today. He wants to get in there today. He wants to because you've got a great part to play. Then you see Jesus will do it quickly. They all think, you know, Judas going down to get it, pick up McDonald's for later, McDonald's lamb pitas for later, or maybe he's going to Holy Ghost Giant Food Store or Harris Teeter. They don't realize he's going out into the dark to sell out Jesus. Go a little farther, this last character. Now it's Peter's turn. He goes, I want you to know I'm going to a place. You can read the verses yourself, time and bit. I'm going to a place you can't come. Peter goes, wait a minute. I know these, I know these kind of wimps are going to follow you, but I'm Peter, I'm the rock, I'm the man, I'll follow you. Jesus says, Peter, Peter, I told you, boy, let me get that pride out. I told you, let me wash that pride out of you. No, Lord, I'll never deny you. Peter, son, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. I'll die before I'll deny. How do you argue with God? How do you tell God you won't fall? How do you do it? Then Jesus says, boy, don't you get this? The devil came to me earlier today and said, I want to sift old Peter. Pete, I got bad news and good for news for you. The bad news is I said, he ain't listening to me. Maybe if you deal with him, he'll listen. And the good news is why he's beating the mess out of you, I'm going to pray for you. And after you've denied, fallen flat on your face, shame your life, 
Come on back. Maybe you'll finally be of some good to this church. I won't deny. You're crazy, God. You don't know me. I'm the rock. I'm the man. And all the rest of the disciples were bragging too. Judas went out and betrayed him. Peter went out and denied him. Judas wouldn't deal with his thievery. Peter wouldn't deal with his pride. He just got to wash some things out of your heart today. Because you were born with a part to play. You were born at the right time. You were in the right church, in the right city. No matter what you're limping with today or how sin or pain has hurt you, the same Jesus that got down on his knees to wash the feet of his disciples is here to wash your heart. The same Jesus that offered Judas bread in the midst of a trial offers you his strength, the strength you need to turn from the things that will wreck your life and lose your purpose today. The same Jesus was so patient with Peter, begged him, let me wash your feet or you'll lose your part. Peter was like, take a bath. Ten minutes later, he was in an argument with God, telling God, you don't know who I am. I ain't ever going to fall. I'm your rock. Remember me? I mean, I've been serving this church years. I ain't going to fall. Well, he was blaspheming, cursing, denying he'd ever met Jesus. Hour later. Pastor Jim is going to join me up here now. I'm going to summarize this, and I'm going to pray for you. I hear the Holy Spirit saying a number of things. Number one, there's some dark times coming to our country. It's just a fact. They're not over. You don't have to be prophetic to know that. But God does his greatest work when it gets dark. And Jesus is coming to wash your heart some today as a people. To wash that party that's touched the world so you won't lose your part. So you won't miss what you're born for. To make it worse, he doesn't just come directly. He does really use people like Pastor Jim and Danelle and, I, and other, other people in your life to come in and kind of say, better let the Holy Ghost get that. He's working on the culture of this church to make you open up your heart to a different level of his touch. I know it's been quite a Sunday today. You read Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead into offering and about Judas getting a demon in communion. How many of you getting real encouraged today? Okay, I'm glad to hear it. You'd say today, Pastor Jim, I want Jesus to wash me afresh. Put your hand up. Holy Spirit, help us. This is a great people. This is a great church. They've been given a significant part to play as a church and as individuals. Come help them. Wash them. Cleanse them. Touch them. We call it, Lord. Pastor Jim.